From the city of Beaky Blinders, Birmingham, England, I would like to introduce you to Paddy Dandar. As the world becomes more automated and the robots take over, it's imperative that we build the right human skills for the future. So pull up a chair, grab a smoser or two, and make yourself very uncomfortable. Hey folks, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Superpower School podcast. I'm your host, Paddy Dander, and today I have an awesome guest. I know he's awesome because I spent a few minutes talking to him before we kicked off, and already I'm feeling this rapport between us. And he has loads of guitars behind him as well, so that always helps because I'm a big music fan myself. We have Chief Collaborator at Collaborator Creative. He's also the author of Nonfiction Brand, and he's a branding expert. And we can see his book on the screen right now, those of us that are watching this nonfiction brand with his photo on the cover, which we're going to talk about in a moment. So welcome to the show, DP Knutton. Oh, thank you so much, Patty. It's great to talk to you. Oh, I am seriously really excited now because I think anyone out there who is looking to up their game and start building that personal brand will enjoy this episode because I'm already getting loads of tips from you, even in the sort of the pre-conversation we had for this episode. But first of all, let's talk about the book. So you've got your face on the book. Not many authors do that on the front cover. Why was that? Well, first of all, the book is about personal branding or small business branding, because I'll be honest with you, personal branding and small business branding, they're the same thing unless you're the ahead of a major corporation with many employees. But if you have your own concern, your own business, your DNA is the DNA of that business, like it or not. And when you succeed, it's based on you. When you fail, it's based on you. And if your employees are not aligned with who you are, there could be some serious chance of failure there. But you asked me the question about why is my photo on the cover of the book? Well, Here's the whole title of the book is Nonfiction Brand Discover, Craft, and Communicate the Completely True, Completely You Brand You Already Are. And what that's designed to get you thinking about is, huh? One, nonfiction brand, does that imply there is such a thing as fictional brands? Yeah, we're surrounded by them every day, the ones that overpromise and underdeliver, and we try it once and never go back. Those Fictional brands exist all over the place. However, we have a lot of nonfiction brands too. Like if I think about a brand in your neck of the woods, Rolls Royce is a tremendous brand and in a lot of different ways than you may think. Now, here in the United States, Rolls Royce is synonymous with high end cars that are very luxurious, but not necessarily performance machines. They're not Lamborghinis. Therefore, really rich people who just want sheer comfort and luxury. I, however, am a big fan of World War II aircraft, and I associate Rolls-Royce with incredible performance because those Rolls-Royce engines were integral to the success of masterful fighter planes like the P-51 Mustang. You know, I think they were in Spitfires. I'm not sure if they were in Hurricanes as well. But, you know, just incredible, must-not-fail engines. So you've got those two things, luxury and quality plus must-not-fail, and you've got this tremendous brand. And it's 
absolutely part of the DNA of Rolls-Royce. You are Rolls-Royce in miniature, meaning you have qualities and abilities and expertise and experience that nobody else has. Nobody is exactly like you. A lot of us hide our light under the bushel, to put it in biblical terms, where, yeah, I do great work, but I don't want to be braggy. I don't want to be a braggart. There are enough hucksters who are always me. I'm not that type of person. I don't want to be that. The idea of stepping into the spotlight might be a little bit scary even. To which I say, you got to get over that. Instead, own what is yours to own, the truth of who you are, what you do, and how you do it. So back to the why did I put my photo on the cover of the book? Well, number one, it's a book. The author's photo is going to be somewhere on the book, sometimes on the back cover, sometimes in the back few pages of the book. Well, I'm writing a book about personal branding, and my personal brand is best summed up by the package my brand comes in, which is my face, my look. The photo itself is black and white with me wearing a black shirt and black rimmed glasses. Do you think that's by mistake? No, I'm a brand guy. These are part of my packaging so that if we were to meet at Heathrow, if I'm flying in, you know I'm flying in, we're trying to meet each other, and I say, Patty, I'll be there at this time, I consistently look like this so that, and by the way, I'm six foot three plus 230 pounds white guy from the U.S. So I'm not hard to find if you are sensitized to the package I come in. My photo is on the cover because it's a book about personal branding, because that is exactly what I look like. And this is the packaging I come in so that you can easily figure out, is that? No, that's DP. I can tell him across the concourse at Heathrow International Airport because he is exactly what I expect him to be because I've already had my expectations set by the photo on the book. A long-winded answer to your question, but see, there's multiple layers of strategy involved there. It's not just narcissism. That so resonates with me because a few years ago, I was having the same sort of dilemma about I was doing a lot of stuff on social media, but I hadn't really thought about the images and some of the branding colors and all of that good stuff. So what's really interesting is about the glasses. I do exactly that. These glasses are my stage glasses almost because I've got another pair here. These are the ones I wear at home. These are rimless and you can hardly see them, but they're really convenient because they're so light. And so I use them for everyday stuff. But as soon as I'm on the podcast or I'm presenting, I will switch over to these black rimmed ones. So I totally get where you're coming from on that. That's really interesting. So DP, you're clearly very passionate about branding. And I'd love to know, how did you discover this passion and your journey that led up to this moment? Well, I was a very young copywriter at an advertising agency in Atlanta, Georgia, here in the United States. And I worked on a brand that the entire world knows, Coca-Cola. I literally wrote ads for Coca-Cola for all of its products, but Coca-Cola, the actual cola itself is their flagship product and really the core of their brand. And I would regularly have my butt handed to me by our clients 
when I would go in to present any new creative. It could be a radio spot. It could be an outdoor billboard. It could be a magazine ad, whatever it was. They would always ask me three questions. How does this communicate authenticity? How does it communicate refreshment? How does it communicate sociability? Now, I could talk for hours on what those three things mean, but I think you get it, which is we're authentic, we're refreshing, and we're also sociable, meaning you don't drink Coca-Cola by yourself. You drink them at football games. You drink them at family events. Coca-Cola has been very successful at owning the year-end holiday time period, at least here in the United States, because it does really compelling advertisements that people love to see with polar bears and seals and stuff like that. And people look forward to it. They've been so successful at owning the holiday season here in the U.S. So I'm there and I'm asked those questions. And the truth be told, at the time, there were seven levels of review and approval for everything I did. And the first level was there for one reason, and that is to kill the ad before it has to go to the other levels. If it doesn't communicate those three key ideas, authenticity, refreshment, and sociability, it was dead. It could be the funniest ad you've ever heard. It could be touching. It could be a tearjerker that really makes you cry. If it did not communicate those three things in an effective way, it was dead on arrival. Right? Why? I, and I asked myself, why are they such a pain about that? And then I realized, oh, because in reality, they are a commodity. They are sweet, brown, bubbly water. That's it. I mean, their fiercest competitor, Pepsi, is sweet, brown, bubbly water with a slight prof you know, flavor profile difference. But they're the same dang thing unless they're not. And here's where branding came in. I realized there are only two positions in the marketplace that really matter. And that is, are you a commodity or are you a brand? A brand, or a, let me put it this way, a commodity is always purchased for the lowest possible price. A commodity like oil. I want to buy a barrel of oil. I want to get it for the cheapest possible price. Why? Because one barrel of oil is like another barrel of oil. They're all the same. I want the lowest possible price. Meanwhile, if I'm a brand, I can charge a premium. Now, anyone watching this will see that I have an Apple Watch. I've got an iPhone. I've, I'm doing this over a MacBook Pro. I am Apple all day long. And full disclosure, I love the brand so much I own stock in Apple because they do what I need, which is design beautiful stuff that inspires me to do even better creative work. It works. You know, everything talks to each other without going into a config.sys file and having to do any of that rigmarole. I don't have to worry about it. And also, I'm IT dad in my family, meaning I have to do the IT for everybody. If I had to go in and fix or do updates and deal with viruses on my daughter's and my wife's computer, I would... I'm sorry, I would probably do evil, bad things to myself because I don't want to have to do that. I've reached the point in my career where I have more money than time. As a young man, I had more time than money. I was happy all day long to work on my old CJ7 Jeep with a straight six engine where you could take the whole thing apart and put it back together in a single day. 
And I like to say that cockroaches will be driving that vehicle after the nuclear apocalypse because it will survive and will not be affected by electromagnetic pulse. So those cockroaches can learn to drive in a Jeep CJ7 with a straight six engine. Those were the days when I had more time than money. Now I have more money than time, and I am happy to buy a car that has the hood welded shut. I never want to go in there ever again. Now, some of you in your audience might go, well, I quite like fixing, tinkering with my car. Great. You have vehicles you can do that with. Then there are other cars that are like, you don't have to do anything and we'll take care of it. Great. There's a market for that. The key is to know which you are. And then no matter which one of those you are, you have to be a premium brand about it. You have to brand yourself, not be a commodity. So even if you're a car that I like to tinker on it car, you can be branded. Think about all the race cars that are very fiddly. Like, oh, okay. So I used to off-road motorcycle. KTM is an Austrian brand of off-road oriented racing motorcycle. They are notoriously fiddly. They have to have their oil changed every time you look at it because they are so high performance that, you know, Ooh, I looked at you. I got to change your oil again. Sorry. Guess what? KTM has fans around the world that would line up for the opportunity to change their oil every five minutes because they are an incredible brand, especially for off-road racing, you know, Paris Dakar, all that stuff. KTM all day long, fiddly. If you're a fiddly person, get one of those. Meanwhile, I rode a Suzuki V-Strom 650, which was built like a tank. I mean, literally, you could drop it off a cliff and it would restart and you'd be able to go another 100,000 miles. Which, why did I pick that over a KTM? Well, that's because I chose a brand that met my needs. But the whole point is, getting back to the whole brand versus commodity thing, I want to point out a couple of things that are going on here in the United States right now that are might be really interesting slash scary to your audience. So we're recording this in the north half of November 2022, and a number of things have happened that have certainly caught my attention. Elon Musk comes into Twitter, tosses out half the employees, gets rid of, initially it was like 3,000. Now it's, uh, they just said, pick one pill or the other. Are you with us or against us? If you're against us, you're out and we'll give you three months severance. Well, guess what? Everybody quit. He's destroying a brand. But the point I'm trying to make is not about him. It's about all the people who lost their jobs. Same thing. Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook, uh, 11,000, not 1,100, 11,000 people were fired at the same time many of whom do the same exact job or the, develop the, in the same exact, you know, computer framework, you know, languages or whatever. If you're one of those 1,000, 11,000 people and you are anonymous, you are by your very nature a commodity. You are the same as anyone else who has JavaScript certifications or C plus or whatever your stack is. You know, you are exactly the same, at least in the marketplace's mind, as anybody else, unless you're not. If you can legitimately say and prove that 
I created the like button at Facebook. Oh, wow. You did something that is remarkable. And I love the word remarkable because underline what it means, worthy of remark. It literally is remarkable that you created this thing. And something as simple as a like button, anybody with a brain who knows what it takes to do that across a huge application like uh, Facebook, all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, you can do simple. Simple is great, but simple is hard. Therefore, you must be more valuable. So let's play that out. 11,000 people just lost their job. You are up for a job interview along with 50 other of your compatriots. And we all look in, they talk to you, they look at the resume, you've got all the same stuff, yada, yada, yada. And then at the end, you say, yes, and I developed the I, uh, the, and I developed the like button. What are they going to remember about you? Not your resume. That thumbs up like. And I have gone my entire career always touting my relationship with Coca-Cola because that's the remarkable thing about me. But you'll notice how I wove that story in a way that wasn't, yeah, I used to do Coke stuff, but was I learned so much working there that it's now part of my philosophy of nonfiction branding, which I am sharing with you and I am showing and telling and proving that I am not a commodity copywriter or a commodity marketer or a commodity branding guy. I am, oh, that's DP. He learned everything about branding from Coca-Cola because sweet brown bubbly water. I don't even remember what he meant by sweet brown bubbly water, but that was so memorable. That's worthy of remark. Do you see what I did there? Yeah. You're already thinking, wow, that DP guy, he's got a lot of energy and he has experience. And he's got some expertise and he's demonstrating it because here's the thing about branding. Most people don't get there are two basic jobs or primary jobs, two primary jobs of branding. Number one, differentiation. He goes all the way back to cowboys in the American West. Your cattle are brown. My cattle are brown. How do I know you aren't stealing my cattle? I brand them. So that your brown cow doesn't look like my brown cow. Differentiation. I can see the difference between the two, even though they appear to be the same. Let's play that out a little bit and, and say, well, what if I treat my cows better? What if I feed them better? What if I water them better? What if I treat them in a way that allows them to develop a superior meat when they are processed? Would that make them more valuable? Well, here in the United States of America, the U.S. Department of Agriculture has a grading scheme for meat, for steak, for any beef product or anything like that. It goes all the way from, you know, prime to choice to whatever, blah, blah. And that's great. You can get a T-bone steak for, I'm just going to say $10 a pound. Put the word Kobe in front of that, Kobe beef steak. And if you know anything about Kobe beef, they are, you can only get it from Japan. It, the individual cattle have masseurs that literally tenderize their flesh as they're growing up. They feed them carefully. They pamper them. It's like spa day every day for a, a head of Kobe beef cattle. Well, guess what? The highest price steak that you can get based on USDA 
grading is, let's say, $10 a pound. Kobe beef, 10x that, $100 a pound or even more. Why? Because they've taken a commodity product, branded it to the point where they can get 10x more profit out of it because they are, in fact, a premium brand. And I'm here to tell you that you should be creating a premium brand for yourself. Because if you don't, you are in fact a commodity, just like all those other 1,100 or 11,000 workers who just got laid off by Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook. That's a terrible place to be. Yeah, no, I've been following the news carefully on that. And it is absolutely eye-opening about that how someone can do that. And I think with Mark Zuckerberg, it was almost like because of his mistakes, now these people are suffering. Whereas Elon Musk is a little bit different. He's gone into a new organization and he wants to put his stamp on the organization. So he's taking a slightly different approach there. But you're right. Like I was always told actually when I was working for another company, I was there for 10 years and I had a really great leader who used to say to me, make sure you get your badges. And I was like, why? I've got a job. And he'd be like, yeah, but you may not always have this job. And I was like, well, it's a pretty comfortable position. It's pretty, pretty secure. And one thing he said to me was, no one's indispensable. And if you are shown the door at some point, you never want to be in that situation where panic sets in and you're thinking, oh, I should have got these qualifications or I should have done more on my personal brand to build it up such that I have a big network. I have a network of people I can lean into. A question I had for you then, DP, on this was, you know, just think about some of the audience. You know, I, I don't have the big brands listening to this podcast. It's more independent consultants, coaches, entrepreneurs who are trying to make their mark as individuals. And for many of them, if they're thinking, hey, how can I even build my brand? Where do I start? What's the thing that I should be focusing on? What advice would you have for them? Where do they start with that? Hi, folks. Sorry for the quick interruption. But before we continue with this awesome episode, I have a huge favor to ask. If you're enjoying these conversations and you're finding it's giving you value in your daily challenges, then I'd be extremely grateful if you could leave a short review and subscribe to whichever platform you're either watching or listening to this episode on. That's it. Let's get back into the episode. Well, we live in a golden age of getting your face and your thoughts and your voice out there. And it's the age of social media and love it or hate it. And I'll be honest with you. I am not a huge fan of social media. And yet I eat my vegetables and I do it every day because I understand something that any band member would want. And that is social media is always on. It has free levels. Just about every channel has free levels that give you 80% of the capabilities of whatever it is for free. And it's gives you access to the entire world that is online, potential access to the entire world that's online. So let's play this out. You, you mentioned coaches. All right. So I like to be one of my keywords. I mentioned Coke is authenticity, refreshment, sociability. 
my key three, that's what I call them, the key three, I'm creative, collaborative, and the last one is provocative. I try to get people thinking, always with a kind intentions, but I'm not afraid to, what I like to say, hit your baby in the face. Sometimes you got to hit your baby in the face because your baby pet idea may not be viable or maybe needs to be tested. And you need to stop loving your baby long enough to look at and say, is this actually viable or valuable? So coaches, if you're a coach out there, forgive me, but I'm going to say one of the worst words in the world to be right now is a coach. Because in my world, People are coaches when they've just lost their job. They're looking for a new one. They have nothing to do. And in the meantime, they're trying to start a coaching agency or something like that so that they can make some money to live while they're looking for a bigger, better job someplace else. That's not true for everybody. But just go to LinkedIn and look at the number of coaches And then look at their resumes and see, oh, yeah, they were at this business for five years and all of a sudden they're not and they're a coach. So if you are a coach, you're in a barrel of apples. Some of those coaches in that barrel of apples are exactly what I just described. Someone who's faking it till they make it or they're trying to have a job that bridges over into a new job or something like that. Well, I would consider that a rotten apple. If you're in that barrel with that apple, you are in fact rotten, at least in terms to those who might look into that barrel, right? The key is, and that barrel is full of a commodity coaches. The goal is to immediately get yourself out of that commodity barrel and into a different position in the marketplace. Uh, Let me give you an example. One of my friends who's been on my podcast a couple of times is a Vancouver, British Columbia, Canadian real estate agent. She literally helps people find homes. She's a works with families, not commercial real estate. So she is using social media, right, left, up and down like crazy to differentiate herself from real estate agents. Again, I don't want to be unfair to real estate professionals, but many of them are Beyond the less rigorous side of the spectrum when it comes to diligence and discipline and all those things, you know, that I like to think of them as the people who show you one house and then come to the signing at the mortgage signing and get a check for $20,000. I did next to nothing and I got a big check. Yay. Well, if you're a real estate agent, you're in that commodity barrel of other real estate agents with all those kind of huckster, lame uh, real estate agents, unless you're not. Leah Bach is demonstrating and differentiating herself as a premium brand all over the place. She's now on TikTok. And this woman is north of 40 years old. So it's not like she's some hot 20-year-old in a bikini. No, she's... I probably late forties, but she's all over TikTok. She's all over Instagram. She's all over LinkedIn because she'll create something and then cross post it to all of the channels. And she is actively differentiating herself and demonstrating her quality in the stuff she does. And it's not just how can you get the best deal for your house type content? 
One of her most popular ones, she's wearing one of those inflatable Tyrannosaurus Rex costumes and walking down the street. And it got incredible views. And another one where she falls into a swimming pool at a house that she's trying to sell and list and all this stuff. So it's not just how can you make sure your house doesn't stay on the market too long? That content is valuable, but the real stuff that's super valuable is the stuff that clearly differentiates and demonstrates exactly who you are. Because if you follow Leah long enough, your takeaway is going to be, oh, she seems nice. Oh, I kind of trust her. Oh, she'd be fun to get a glass of wine with after a hard day of looking at homes. Oh, I think she would be great because she knows she's demonstrated. She knows the neighborhood that I'm interested in moving into. She's done her sales job in advance. Say it with me for free on social media because she put herself out there in a way that is completely true and completely her. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about faking it. I'm not talking about putting on a mask or something. I'm just saying demonstrate exactly who you are. If you're a numbers person, demonstrate that. If you're a performance-oriented person such as myself, demonstrate that, which is why I'm on your podcast. I'm talking to a guy in the UK. No one in his audience is ever going to hire me to do anything with them, but maybe they'll buy a book. I don't care. I get to demonstrate exactly who I am, what I do, and how I do it in a way that serves me best. When I do that, I'm pulling myself out of that copywriter commodity bucket out of that creative director commodity bucket. And I'm creating a new place in your mind about exactly who I am, what I do and how I do it. And here's the thing. Some of your audience might be, oh, that boy is a brash American. I find him a little bit obtuse and a little too, his tea is a little hot. Great. The best thing I can do is not engage with you because you would not be satisfied with anything I did. If, however, you're going, wow, he's really made me think. I bet you he could make me think about my business or my brand. I bet you he could break through some of the obstacles I've put in front of myself. You know, then you're, you know, leaning into selecting, working with me or engaging with me or following my podcast or buying my book, whatever. I'm okay with serving tea hot and understanding that a certain amount of people in the audience don't like hot tea, but the ones that do, I'm going to be able to serve with excellence. And that's my number one concern. Oh, that's great. And I was going to say, I don't think my audience would speak like that, by the way, because my podcast isn't as affluential as that. Yeah, that's and the... forgive my accent. <laughs> no, the accent was great. <laughs> but that's a really good point, though. Like, I think sometimes we think, how am I going to appeal to all of the audience out there? Right. And that's don't. a great, yeah, that's a great point yeah, you've just don't. made there. As a young man, I tried to do that. I tried to be all things to all people thinking that I have to take every job that's offered to me because I may not get offered another. And mm. that led me down some kind of blind alleys that didn't really serve me because the reality is I may have gotten the job, but I didn't like it. So instead, I looked at who I am, what I do and how I do it. And I literally decided to become an advertising copywriter because before that, my degree's in theater. 
I was an actor. I did improv comedy. I did on-camera work. I did voiceover work. And I knew that a regular job, you know, working in an office, et cetera, was not going to work for me. I needed to use that which I had. And it turns out that what I have is rare and valuable to the right people. That's the key. And here in the state of Wisconsin in the U.S., fishing is a big deal, angling. And there are two types of fishing. You can cast a net, a wide net, pull in every small little nothing, or you can species fish where you are trying to get a specific type of fish. So let me just say that we're going out for whales. If I get one whale, my year is taken care of. I don't have to worry about it. If I go out and I have to cobble together 50 small little fish, can you imagine the pain involved with that? If you know who your species is, fish for them. If you know the people who you can best serve, go fishing for them and prove your value. Yeah, again, to torture this metaphor, I like to think of fishing or advertising and marketing as a fishing lure. You've got the flash in the water and then you've got the hook. The flash in the water will always be the concept and the art direction and the typography and the color and all that stuff. But the copy is the hook. That is the thing that will create the images that remain in your mind. Like the fact that I mentioned the phrase sweet brown bubbly water earlier in this podcast, I do a call back to it right now. Instantly, you're reminded of that because it was one of those copywriting, copywriting tricks, which is come up with that phrase that is remarkable and memorable and then use it frequently. You've heard me say completely true, completely you, or completely true, completely her. Why do I do that? Again, that's proving that I am a copywriter, that I can create memorable communications, that I can pack a lot of meaning into a small phrase. By demonstrating that, I am demonstrating exactly who I am, what I do, and how I do it. If you don't need that, don't come to me. If you need catalog copy that describes the rich Corinthian leather and 24,000 square feet. And you can get any word arranger to do that. And there are writers who are word arrangers. I am not a writer who is a word arranger. I am one that creates the, I hopefully, impactful phrases that lead to memorable position within people's minds for you, your brand, your product, your service, whatever. And on that note, DP, Something that came to mind was when I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I was trying to think about what would be the hook for me to get my audience engaged. Now, I could just say, oh, just come along and listen to the podcast and get inspired. Like, but that's quite generic, general, and very overarching. And so I was battling with what is the angle that I would go at it? from and in the end i focused very much on human skills for the future because i was quite passionate about that anyway and it felt like there's not that many podcasts that really advocate that they may do it in other ways but really to say you know what i'm making a point that we're not going to talk about tech much like that's not the thing that i want to specialize in 
there's plenty of other places you can go for that and really good places. But we're focusing on those human skills, those things that are really important, but we as people can do them way better than perhaps, you know, automation and AI and all of those good things. So, so that was a piece that I really wanted to focus on. So if someone out there is thinking about, well, what should be their hook? Is there any advice on that? Like, how do you formulate that hook to say, well, this is me, I'm DP, and this is what I do? What's that? How do you formulate that? Well, first of all, you got to do a little bit of introspection, not navel gazing, but real introspection and say things like, what do people tell me I do best? Not what do I think I do best, but talk to your family, your friends, your closest associates, your business pals, whoever. And just ask them a very simple question. What do I do best? You're going to get a number of answers, but a lot of them are going to be rotating uh, what would be called a magnetic attractor or something like that, a, a concept attractor, which is, well, I think I'm really good at analysis. And they say, no, you're really good at cutting through the BS. You can get past that and you can see it and you can sense it, which is analysis, right? I analyze things and I see what's true, what's not. And then no, but it's that memorable thing of, oh, I'm a BS detector. If you're a BS detector, do you know how valuable that is to a company? That because half of what we're told, most of what we're sold is covered in BS and people who can cut through that and find out the truth of something can save millions of dollars, millions of pounds to companies and consequently are tremendously valuable. If you are a BS detector, you don't have to use those words, but that could always be in your mind that, oh, my greatest value to other people is being a BS detector. So when someone says, why should we engage with you? You say things like, I can save you money on everything you have to purchase to make your business run. Why? Because I'm a tremendous BS detector. So I can get through the salesperson's BS and get to the best possible price and save you money. And by the way, did you see what I just did? I didn't talk about my feature. I talked about your benefit. You will save money on everything you have to buy to keep your business up and running. That is probably the biggest thing that advertising, good advertising does. It talks about benefits, not features. So let me put this in a memorable metaphor, if you will. You're at a pub and you're looking across the bar and you see a very cute person that you might be interested in. You look at them, they look at you, you make eye contact, they smile at you. Oh, what a beautiful smile. And they seem kind. And well, guess what? That date right there is a marketing communication or that, you know, that smile. And the first date is about one thing only, and that is getting a second date. So if the first date is just the pretty smile that gets you to move or gets you to engage in one way or another, that's exactly what you should be doing. So again, let's pop back to the BS detector conversation and say, huh, you can save me money. Well, that's interesting because we're about to buy a new fill in the blank, a new, let's say your printing press, you know, multiple millions of pounds to install this thing. We're looking at two competitors. How would you save me money? 
you've just started a conversation, date number two. And date number two is all about getting date number three and with the goal of always working towards marriage. If you don't have a good smile to get date number one, and if you don't have a, an intriguing conversation starter to get date number two, how are you going to get married? A lot of people say, here's my business card. Let's get married. How successful is that? It's not. But if you can demonstrate your value by showing and proving the benefits you can give to them, that's how you work towards getting married. I didn't oh, think this was going to be about dating advice, but it applies. <laughs> I love that. I love metaphors, by the way. So you are the king of metaphors, DP. So far, I've counted quite a few on my hand. So it's been great to hear those. That's the way my brain works. Yeah. And let me, oh, let me tell you this story, because if you love metaphors, you need to understand one thing, which is other people do not. And I think most people love metaphors because it's like, oh, you took this thing that was difficult and broke it down for me. Thank you. I literally did a presentation for a person who had a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. I think they may have been one of those people who didn't go to university, and, but they were very successful. But the thing I found is if you didn't go to university and get a degree, you have a chip on your shoulder, which is I didn't go. Therefore, I don't know what you know. Now, I went to university and let me tell you, they don't teach anything there that a smart person can't learn outside of that. But if you didn't get that ticket stamped, you might have that little little bit of insecurity. So I'm doing my DP thing where I'm talking about metaphor to describe something. And the person looked at me with cold laser eyes and said, I don't need you to break this down for me. And I said, whoa, I'm not breaking it down for you. I'm breaking it down for me. This is how I understand it. I'm sorry that you may have felt insulted, but I didn't mean that. I'm just being me. The fact is he didn't like me for any number of reasons. I don't care what they are. I just know that I would never be able to serve this guy well. And so when they chose not to use me in my services, I was like, thank God I dodged that bullet. Because if I tried to reform myself to match their desires and wishes, it would be a failure. So by not having to waste any time and energy on failing like that, I can give it to the people who get me. It, it really is as simple as that. Yeah. Oh, no, that's pretty interesting that <laughs> you've had that experience. I have to say, I'm touch wood. I've never had that level of negativity. Well, you haven't, <laughs> you haven't dealt with insecure jerks like I have. So we're running out of time, DP. I just wanted to finish off the episode with any recommendations from you on resources that people could follow up with. Obviously, you've got some great material, so I'd love to hear a little bit more about that, that people can then reach out to you and check out some of the great things that you have on offer. And if there's any other literature that you would recommend for people who are thinking of rebranding themselves or actually going on that journey. Well, the first thing you can do, and you can do it right now, if you're sitting at your computer, go to wired.com, that's wiredmagazine.com, and look up an, an article called The Brand Called You. In 1998, Tom Peters, the brilliant business strategist, 
wrote an article. It's a pretty short article in Wired Magazine's fourth issue. I think it was probably their fourth issue. And it was, or no, it's Fast Company Magazine. I'm sorry, it's Fast Company Magazine, fastcompany.com. And look up The Brand Called You by Tom Peters. You can still read the whole article. And he's basically the father of what personal branding is. And the key thing is, personal branding is not about becoming an Instagram influencer. It's not about taking pretty photos on a beach in Belize with the wind blowing through your hair. It's about using the tips and tools and techniques of packaged goods, branding, and marketing and applying them to yourself so that people can understand who you are, what you do, and how you do it, and self-select you because they totally understand those aspects of you. We've talked a few about some of the things about myself, about my love of guitars and music, and I've mentioned my background in branding and in copywriting and creative directing and stuff like that. But you don't know how many children I have. You don't know how many dogs I have. You don't know how I vote politically. You don't know my favorite color. None of those things matter. Why? Because I'm packaging myself completely so that you guys can understand exactly who I am, what I do, and how I do it. So that would be number one. Go read that article, fastcompany.com, and look up the brand called you, Tom Peters. The second thing is, yeah, it's called Nonfiction Brand. Discover, craft, and communicate the completely true, completely you brand you already are with this guy's photo on the cover. That's available via Amazon, even in the UK. It's a it's available all over the world via Amazon. So that's the best place to get that. I would love for your listeners to take a listen to my nonfiction brand podcast, where I have people and experts on from all over the world talking about their personal brands, what they're doing, how they're doing it, why they're doing it. And it allows people to see personal branding through a lot of other people's eyes, if you will. So I have no doubt that Patty's going to be on my podcast sometime soon because I want to get the UK view from his eyes on what's happening over there and what he's doing for himself. Again, you can get the Nonfiction Brand Podcast wherever podcasts are free. Just look up Nonfiction Brand and Knuten, spelled K-N-U-D-T-E-N. Pay no attention to my license plate up there in the corner. And also... If you go to nonfictionbrand.com slash gift, you can download three PDFs that will help get you started on your personal brand development journey, if you will. One of the PDFs is a five-question questionnaire that is just designed to get you start thinking about stuff. And then the other two are some techniques you can use starting today on social media to start getting yourself out there. Let me describe one of them to you quickly. It's called the unselfish selfie. We all take selfies, right? Many of them are, look at how good I look, selfies. If you are going to a meetup or a business meeting or a groundbreaking of a new building or any type of event where people that are brand enhancers for you, make sure you take a photo with them. And make sure the spotlight's on them, not you. Yes, you need to be in the photo. But it's really about them, making them look good. Because when you make them look good, you look good. Or as I like to say, when you shine the spotlight on someone else, 
it reflects back on you in a positive way. So the unselfish selfie, that's one of the worksheets that you can download. It's got all the, you know, how to do it, where to do it, all that stuff. That's at nonfictionbrand.com slash gift, G-I-F-T. Oh, fantastic. I think I'm going to be downloading that myself and checking out some of that advice for sure. So, Dippy, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure getting to know you over these last few minutes. I feel like we could talk about so much more. We will on my podcast. Yeah, we'll do a follow-up on there and maybe I can talk some Brit stuff with you then. And uh, yeah, so thank you once again. I really appreciate your time today. My pleasure. There you have it, folks. It's the end of another insightful episode. And as always, thank you so much for sticking around to listen to this episode and for helping support me and encouraging me to create more content for you guys. If you'd like to get in touch with me directly, you'll find my email address in the show notes or equally head over to the website and click on the contact link. And I promise I will respond to every single message I receive. I'm always looking for your feedback. So if you'd like me to change things up or improve things, I would love your opinions. If there are topics that you would like us to do future episodes on, or there are other great speakers that you are aware of, then please do mention them and uh, we'll see if we can make it happen. Thank you once again. 